0: came a long way. That's what the song said. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey what's up, what's going on and welcome to the Be Real Podcast Where we keep it real on social issues, history, news,
0: faith and everything in between It's your one stop podcast
1: with thought provoking talk and real content Now it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley What's up y'all, you know what I'm gonna tell you Swag that thing out I could do all things, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what the songs say. And I could do all things. I could do, do all things, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what the songs say. You can do it all. What's going on, y'all? Thank you, thank you for coming back. Welcome back. Be Real Podcast, the 11th episode. One more episode for the season. And we're going to be jumping in season two, switching gears up just a little bit. But, you know, funny story is my son, um, I was playing that song in the background for some reason, and he's been singing it. He said, I could do all things I could do. It's just like so cute, but inspirational um, for him and for me just to hear him say that. um, It's so true. Real quick, before we move on any further, Can you please uh, make sure you go ahead and hit me with a five-star review? I am keep asking for those because what happens is the more times I get five-star reviews, it's easier for other people to find my podcast. Also, make sure you share the podcast. Leave a written review as well. Um, And feel free to email or even send a voicemail through Anchor so I can hear what you guys are thinking about these uh, um, episodes. I'm I'm seeing a lot of support, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Continue to listen. Um, Hopefully, you're um, getting something out of it. But, yeah... um, we have a great episode today. It's about the school to prison pipeline, and it's a it's becoming a a very popular term, and some say even a buzzword. But it's much more than that, of course. And we're going to be looking at, um, you know, the history of it and where it came from and things of that nature. But before we get into that, you know, I'm going to hit you with a story um, dealing with school. I'm a teacher, but I'm not I'm not going to you know tell a story about. While wow, you know about me being a teacher, it's actually a story when I was a student. I got a few, um, but one I got two that stick out, stick up, stick out in my mind. Um, I have really more than two, but I'm gonna keep it down to two. Um, so the first story is I was on my way to enter the school, and um, my school was like an indoor school. So, shout outs to uh, Vistalago Ravens. Class oh five, and I'm I'm going inside the hallway, and the rule was the hallway was considered indoors, of course, and you couldn't wear hats indoors. And if you had a hat, your hat had to be straight. And I'm I'm not for certain which hat I had on. I want to say it was my like my old school, like it was like an old school Angels hat. And I'm not an Angels fan, my Dodgers fan, but the hat was cold. It was like red, white, and blue. I had a matching like uh, this one like. Plat, uh fat was it fat form and fat form was hot so I had a all red um I think it was an all red um you know, long sleeve um jeans matching shoes um so I was I was like I was feeling cold. I mean you couldn't tell me anything. So I walk in and, and I stop in the front to talk to some girls. Um you know and um I kept the hat on, feeling myself smiling, laughing, you know, having a good time. And out of nowhere campus supervisor as we call them um, they call them DSOs now but they're campus supervisors for us and Jason if you went to my school you, you knew Jason and bro said take your hat off give it to me now I said man that's a part of the outfit I said come on like I'm going back and forth like come on man it's don't I'll never get in trouble. Don't do me like this. Come on, bro. Come on. I'm like pleading with my 10th grade self is pleading with him. Like, come on, man. In front of a girl, too. You going to do me like that? So I'm thinking like, man, he's trying to embarrass me. So I'm just like, no, I'm not giving you my hat. Then I finally got to the point point. was like, here. And I tossed my hat to him. Um, And he said, oh, you're throwing your hat at me? Okay. Okay. And I, and I thought nothing of it. I go to class. Um. In my Spanish class, the officer, SRO, comes. He pulls me out of my class, takes me to the office, and said, you know, um, what you did to Jason is considered assault, and um, I could arrest you. I said, what? What are you talking about? I tossed my hat at him. No, you threw your hat as a weapon. Um, towards him, and mind you, I'm I'm a good kid. Like like I'm like, what? You can arrest me? He he says, it's really up to Jason at this point what I'm gonna do. So uh maybe if you can talk to him and apologize, um, maybe we can figure something out. So I went to talk to Jason. Uh, I played the role like, yeah, I'm sorry, da 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 da, whatever. Um, he's like, you know, I had a referral for you. I'm gonna rip it up, and um, this time because I know you're a good kid. Uh, you can pick up your hat at the end of the week. I said, end of the week, or you can, or you can get a referral or get arrested. I said, well, bro, I pick up my hat at the end of the week, right? And um, so that was my interaction with you know our SROs. And I mean, it was tough. I mean, we—I was coming from a zero tolerance policy. The year after, I was suspended for five days because my little sister got into a fight and I had nothing to do with it, but I was there and. So, you know, things happen. I was even suspended in elementary school for not getting in a fight, but being around the fight. So as an African-American kid, being suspended wasn't a new thing. Um, Even though I was a kid that stayed out of trouble, it still happened. So that's what we're talking about today. How incidents like what I went through. Affect students and how that creates a pipeline to prison. We're going to also talk about how that pipeline was actually built throughout the history of education and the effects of the zero tolerance policy um, and maybe uh, look at some remedies as well. So let's get to it. So we got some things to talk about. So I hope y'all enjoy this transition. Hey, but in all seriousness, with that being said, what is the school to prison pipeline? What is it? So to define it, it's pretty much what the word is. It's literally an invisible pipeline ushering kids into prison from school, right? These kids are being pushed in um, and becoming criminals while being students um, and normally creating some unnecessary contact with law enforcement too early. So looking at the history of SROs, those are resource officers, right? School research, resource officers. Um, it started back in the 50s. So in 1953, Uh, In Flint, Michigan, we all know Flint, Flint, Michigan, due to the water um, crisis. They still don't have clean water. It's another story. Um, They started a SRO program and, and their belief, which they what, you know, they said was to create and foster a relationship between local police and the youth. So that's why they wanted an SRO on campus. So with that being said, white students in schools Um, that was being desegregated, started to actually leave schools. Because this is, you know, 1953 by 57, you have the Little Rock Nine. So around that time, schools are becoming desegregated and integrated is is the right word you can use. But at the end of the day, these white students are actually leaving and going to private schools. Matter of fact, in 1958, that Little Rock Nine, and um, that whole... Uh, school district actually closed down all their public high schools and white students went to private schools and African-American students stayed home. High school students stayed home because they couldn't afford to go to private school and the, they were trying to freeze out the black students. So that's a different story. But these students, um, when they went to these private schools, they didn't have SROs. The schools that started to have SROs happened to be urban or um, schools with majority African-American or Latino students. So they were being um, pushed upon these kids, these SROs, right? These officers, right? And these schools would end up having less funding, but would have money to give to have a, you know, an SRO or officer on campus. So they had less resources in terms of um, books, in terms of um, technology, in terms of teachers, but they had... A resource officer. Hmm, that's crazy. And when you look at the history, by 1968, we we have students throughout the Southwest, um, mainly LA. I mean, not mainly, but LA is one of the most um, famous area that that started having the the blowouts where you had a Latino and also Black students walking out protesting for um, ethnic studies and equality in terms of education and their facilities. Um, and police show up and brutalize these kids, arrest these kids, criminalize these kids for using their First Amendment right. So that's when we see more of the interaction of that school to prison pipeline, making these kids who are just standing up for their rights um, to be seen as criminals on the news and, and also in the society. So after all that's being said and done, let's fast forward to 1974. 1974 is a big deal. So seventy four, you have the Juvenile Justice and Delinquents Preve- Prevention Act of nineteen seventy four. So this was passed to give SROs a um, more power to start identifying who is going to be a delinquent or not. So before these kids even do anything wrong, they are now profiled and normally racially profiled, saying this kid could be a trouble kid, so I'm going to give them more attention. I'm going to mentor them. But in reality, setting them up for failure, harassing them, checking on them. What, what are you doing? Why are you out of class? L- let me talk to you. Do you want a ticket? Do you, you, are you going to end up in jail? Things of that nature, right? And with that, that provided more money for, uh, for schools to have SROs. So we're starting to see that happen. And even in the school system, this is what teachers started to do. They started to um, identify kids that could be problem children. And normally those kids that they identified, guess what? Black and brown kids, right? And what we see here is that they're also giving these officers power to arrest these students um, and also to set up court dates for them for Um, simple status offenses like running away or skipping school. So for skipping school, we're going to have you in front of the judge and you could get arrested for it and you could serve time or pay a fine that you and your family really don't have because you're living in poverty. But that's don't worry about that. We're going to figure it out. This is going to make you a better student. But there's actually creating paperwork, uh, a paper trail of you being a criminal already because when it comes down to you, Let's say something else happens. They're going to look at your record and say you've been in front of our court for skipping school, for running away, for vandalizing the school, whatever it may be, right? Um, so this is what these things um, was doing. And the 80s come around. And with the 80s, you, you have a big boom of, of course, drug use, gang violence, and things of that nature. So I want to play this clip for you real quick. And this clip is from like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, When I was as a kid um, looking back, I I see it a little bit different lean on me So I'm gonna play the clip and we're gonna talk about it I want all of you to take a good look At these people on the risers behind me These people have been here up to five years and done absolutely nothing These people are drug dealers and drug users, <laughs> they have taken up space, they have disrupted the school, they have harassed your teachers, oh, and they have intimidated hey, 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 you. Well, times are about to change. You will not be bothered in Joe Clark's school. Yes! These people are incorrigible. And since none of them could graduate anyway, you are all expurgated. You are dismissed You are out of here if I, I I. wish you well. Oh, the right. Oh, Dang, right? Fairy side. I'm joking. Hey, that was the movie for me, right? Um, Joe Clark. I'm the Batman. You know, running around with the bat, locking all doors. Lock the doors! Lock the doors! Lock the doors. All that crazy stuff, right? And before I became a teacher, before I got an education, I was like, "Oh, this movie's amazing!" Right? Looking back, like this, I don't think I don't think Joe Clark should have done all that. So this is supposedly loosely based on a on a on a like a real occurrence, real events. Um. So that's what like the eighties were to teachers, supposedly. You know, that's that's what they wanted to tell us in 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 these urban schools. Um, you had gang violence, you had drug dealers, you had people who were addicted to drugs, you had people um that you couldn't, you know, you didn't feel safe, teachers didn't feel safe, things of that nature. And the best way to get rid of to get rid of all that is to get rid of these students. That's pretty much what Joe Clark just taught us. He told us, you know, these kids aren't gonna graduate anyways, right? And some of the kids in there were freshmen and sophomores. So you're already labeling them as failures. And we're not trying to get to the root of the issue. Like, why are they doing drugs? Why are they selling drugs? Why are they angry, right? Why are these things happening? Instead of doing that, Joe Clark said, get on out. Get out, man. We don't need you. Um, so that was, in essence, what we we saw a whole lot in the 80s and 90s. Um, even early 2000s, just expelling kids, suspending kids, getting them off the campus, right? Um, and, and that comes from the idea of the, you know, the war on drugs. It created that image of the dangerous urban schools, right? Full of gang members selling drugs, crack cocaine, right? More police involvement. You know, you're putting narcs in, in the schools. Um, SROs are paying more attention. You got metal detectors. They're creating an atmosphere where the, it's not a safe learning environment, it's more of a prison. Right, um, and some say that creates a self fulfilling prophecy because these kids are seen as criminals, they are treated like criminals, and guess what they're gonna end becoming criminals, right? So what we see is with that happening from nineteen eighty seven to two thousand seven right this is still war on drugs happening um funding for incarceration more than doubled, right. While funding for education was only raised by just twenty one percent, so this shows us like what we deemed in our country as important as a priority, right? We prioritize punishing people. We prioritize putting people in jail, mass incarceration, right? And with that being said, of course, we had the crime bill of nineteen ninety four signed by uh, dear President Bill Clinton. Um, Remember, people used to joke that he was the first black president. That was a bad joke. But understand this. During the same time, he signed into law another bill that was tied to the crime bill. This bill was called the Gun-Free Schools Act of 1994. It mandated a year-long suspension if someone was caught with a weapon. Some people say it was a gun, but in the law itself that was written, it just said a weapon. So it was a very broad determination. It was up to, you know, the school district and things of that nature. And it was like a, it, it created that zero tolerance attitude with that. If a school um, did find someone with a weapon or they would have to turn them over to the law law enforcement. And if they didn't. Do these things right. Then find themselves subjected to these things, they would end up losing federal funding. Okay, um, so what the crime bill also did—the um, the '94 the crime bill—gave money for more SROs. So we saw in the following year, a seven thousand more SROs being cro- crop, cropped out of nowhere, just popped up, right? Because of that, and used the money within the um, community orientation policing service grants. The cops—they call it cops you know, community policing, the funding line came from that saying this is a form of community policing having police officers in schools. Right. And if you look up what community policing really is all about, it's not about law enforcement um, being there to, how can I say, enforce those laws. It's about building relationships. Um, But that's not what this was. Right. And What happens is this law brought in the zero tolerance policies, which happens to be a terminology used, guess what, during the war on drugs, a zero tolerance for drug use or drug sellers. That's where dealers. I'm sorry. That's where it came from. And what this ushered in, what I would define zero tolerance is as a void of grace full of trying to control students and their bodies and what they think and what they can do, right? And high expectations of respect, what teachers and school administration expect respect to be, right? I want to play you a, a, another clip um, from an amazing movie, The Breakfast Club. And before we get into it, I want to be honest with you. I'm a big Brat Pat fan. Yeah, I know. Uh, pretty in pink, St. Elmo's fire. Come on now. That's, that's, th- those are joints. Breakfast Club, those are joints. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoy those movies. And I had to put this clip in. So, so enjoy it. Give me a second.
0: You're not fooling anybody, Bender. The next screw that falls out is going to be you. Eat my shorts.
2: What was that? Eat
0: my shorts. You just bought yourself another Saturday you just bought one more right there well i'm free the saturday after that beyond that i'm gonna have to check my calendar good because it's gonna be filled we'll keep going you want another one say the word just say the word instead of going to prison you'll come here are you through no i'm doing society a favor so that's another one right now i've got you for the rest of your natural born life if you don't watch your step you want another one Yes. You got it. You got another one right there. That's another one, pal. Cut it out. You through? Not even close, bud. Good. You got one more right there. You really think I give a shit? Another. You through? How many is that? That's seven, including the when we first came in. You asked Mr. Vernon here whether Barry Manilow knew that he raided his closet. Now it's eight. You stay out of it. Excuse me, sir. It's seven. Shut up, Pee-wee. Your mind, Bender. For two months, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. What can I say? I'm thrilled. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what you want these people to believe. You know something, Bender? You want to spend a little more time trying to do something with yourself and a little less time trying to impress people. You might be better off. All right? That's it. I'm gonna be right outside those doors. The next time I have to come in here, I'm cracking skulls.
1: Sorry about that last um, a little cuss word that was used, but I had to play that one. Y'all, just FYI, make sure you watch like 16 Candles 2 and Blue City and Fresh Horses is Slept On, okay? That movie Slept On. I, I, just just check it out. Anyway, that's enough talk about my um, 80s uh, teen movies and you know the Brack Pack addiction that I have. But understand, when I think of zero tolerance policy, that's what I think of. Not trying to figure out what's going on with his life. Not trying to you know, stop and like let me pull you aside and have a conversation. It's just simply, I'm going to get in the shouting ma- match with this kid. I'm going to embarrass this kid. And he's going to pay for all that he's doing. You got two months. I got you two months, bud. Right? Um, I'm going to crack skulls. That's that type of language that I mean, these kids are going to fill it. And that's not... That doesn't work, y'all. And as a teacher, I'm just—I'm not talking as a podcast host. Just as my personal experience, that doesn't work. Um, you—you you can't do that. If you, you're trying to embarrass a kid in front of a bunch of other kids, you're probably going to be the one to end up getting embarrassed. So, you know, that's—that's that's what was happening. It was—and and understand that school districts was mirroring law enforcement. In terms of even like the three strikes, right? Three strikes, a lot of schools started having three strikes and you're out. Like, you know, three major suspensions and you're being expelled, right? Uh, That's the same idea of three strikes and 25 to life. Um, That was the the zero tolerance, right, level. These suspensions started to, you know, get out out of control. In the 1970s until, you know, back to the mid-2000s, suspensions more than doubled, and even worse for black and brown students, where one of the lowest years of suspensions was in nineteen seventy three with only four percent of suspensions overall, far cry from what we see today um, when we look at different school districts that implemented the zero tolerance policy, I look at Chicago and we all know Chicago and the issues that they may have and things of that nature, but it really stems from systemic racism and and we we talked about in other episodes um But at the end of the day, when they implemented the zero tolerance within a four year span, they had um, suspensions increased by 51 percent and expulsions by 32 percent. Right. And understand when kids are outside of school, they're not learning. Bottom line. And on top of that, schools are also losing money because they're losing days of attendance because this kid is being suspended. So it's a lose lose situation. And when they get back, it's a problem where they fix Suspensions are normally a temporary fix for a long-term issue, so it's not really going to fix the problem. So what happens is the more we kick these kids, kids out of school and they're at home and they're in these urban areas, these areas that are populated by violence, populated by drug use, and their parents are probably working all day and they're not being able to make up the work, what's going to happen? right? That's the question we have to ask yourself. What's happening to those kids? Um, in terms of SROs, before Columbine, SROs only represented about 20% of schools had them. Um, after Columbine, it jumped up to nearly 50%, you know, pretty close. And what we see is that SROs were, were being added because the whole function was supposed to protect and serve, right? Um, but, in black and brown schools, we find out that that's not the case it 's more law and order you're not protecting and serving these kids you're actually enforcing law and order right um, trying to put respect in these kids right and what we see is black students are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled than their white counterparts. A researcher and when, we, when we, research when we talked about you know what happens to these kids when they 're at home and what when they get suspended, a researcher um looked into a uh, Texas school district and i believe Texas in uh, all the whole state actually and they followed 7 graders from the year 2000 through 2002 those three three classes of 7 graders and followed each class the groups for uh, 6 academic years and tracked them right and the records found that 31% of these students Who were suspended or expelled um, Repeated a grade And that's compared to only 5% of those Who who didn't find themselves suspended or expelled And in the same study uh, Students suspended or expelled Were twice as likely to drop out of school Compared to students with similar academic And behavior characteristics Right. Um, So little black boys are normally the ones or the victims of this. So that means they're more likely to drop out of school or find themselves um, behind. Right? And I remember going to a um equity conference in terms of for education given on given by Riverside County, and we were in Palm Springs. Um and this was one of the conversations that came up. And looking back, I went to a, another conference actually uh in San Diego, an AVID one. And I was sitting next to a a counselor that was from like Georgia, and their dropout rate for African American students, males especially, was uh, roughly forty percent. She told me, and that I was mind that was mind boggling to me. Like, what? Because at my school, in my school district, we do we I I believe we do such we do a really amazing job, uh, award winning job that we make sure these kids graduate. We make sure we we help them through. But that's not the case in a lot of school districts around the United States of America. And what we see is that one out of four, This it gets worse, one out of four boys of color with disabilities will be suspended. But white students are most likely, these. we're talking about like behavior issues, um, learning disabilities, uh, white students, instead of being suspended, they're actually being medicated and treated, right? To to try to help them with their behavioral issues, um, which reduces the likelihood that they end up in someone's prison. Okay. And, and speaking of these little boys and and, and girls, um, 48% of preschoolers. Okay. Listen, this: 48% of preschoolers, um, that are suspended happen to be black. Okay. And if they have disabilities, it's much more frequent. Okay. So for me, having a five-year-old son, and and when I started looking for a preschool, that was my biggest concern. I was afraid that he's going to be labeled, uh, mistreated because of the skin, his skin skin color, and if he does things that little boys do, um, maybe roughhouse or or have a temper tantrum, that he was going to be severely punished compared to his counterparts. And when me and my wife went to these different elementary or preschools, I'm sorry, that, you know, you had to pay pretty good money for. I would notice that in my area, especially in in areas close to me, that he was going to be the only African-American boy in the classroom. If we chose one of those preschools and that the director would ask me, you know, questions about his behavior, um, questions about, um, slight little questions like, Oh, is he sensitive to light? or sound, trying to figure out if he's, you know, autistic or not without meeting my son, without knowing anything about my son. Um, and this stuff kept happening. But when I mentioned I was an educator, the conversation switched and it was like, Oh, we really want you here and things of that nature. Um, it was so bad that once my, um, my wife thought she found a preschool and I told, you know, let me check it out. You know, and I and I talked to a lady. and I didn't feel very comfortable. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna at least you know check it out. She checked it out before me. She met the lady, and everything was good. Everything was golden. Uh, she was like, let you just you know have your husband call me, and maybe we can set up for him to come and and you know. And I was I, she was supposed to send me the curriculum and things of that nature. And after she found out the color of my son's skin, um. I never got the call back. She didn't call me. Instead, she texted my wife and told her, you know, there's other preschools that might be best for your son um, that we have. Um, out That you can, you know, little smaller ones. Maybe he's not ready since he's only child. But that was wasn't a concern originally at all. It became a concern after she met my wife because over the phone, she was ready to sign my son up. So. That's the, that's the problem we go through, black parents go through in terms of education, especially with me being an educator and knowing the importance of education. And preschool is very important because that's that head start. And what happens is students of color come in in kindergarten below their white counterparts in terms of literacy Because and speaking because either their parents couldn't afford preschool or they're out of preschool a bunch because they're being suspended. Right. So that's another story. We need publicly funded preschools um, to ensure every kid has the opportunity to have that head start. So with that being said, with these preschools being so vital, um, we have to ensure that kids have these opportunities. Um, But with the suspension that we're talking about and kids being mistreated at a very young age and labeled at a very young age, what we find out on top of all that, that. Uh, a Columbia University study from 2014 shows that five year old boys with fathers who are incarcerated, and remember, mass incarceration affects black and brown people disproportionately compared to their white counterparts. So we know that it's more likely the case that a five year old boy will have, that's black or brown, will have their father incarcerated. So a study says that these kids are coming in. Less prepared behaviorally. They're not prepared to share or um, to be in school, in preschool, uh, or in kindergarten because their father's not around. And what happens is because of their behavior, normally they're more prone to end up being labeled as a kid with a learning disability. And because of that, they end up in guest special education and therefore always on track to be behind. Their white counterparts based on their behavior, not trying to figure it out, not trying to work with them, but instead labeling them as a learning disability. So with that being said, I have another clip to, to play. Um, listen up.
2: Investigators say the six year old and an eight year old were both taken into custody yesterday on unrelated charges. Now Orlando police are launching an internal investigation into this case. News 6's Nikki Zizaza joins us live from their headquarters tonight and Nikki you spoke with the grandmother of this six year old and she is pretty upset. Yes, she is, Ginger. This concerned grandmother is not happy with the way Orlando Police School resource officer handled her granddaughter's tantrum by arresting her. The department's policy states that in order to arrest a child under the age of 12, you must have a watch commander's approval. And police tell us that did not happen in this case. I turn my teeth with this remote. Kaya Roll is like most little girls. She loves pink and has a cheery outlook on life. But after what her grandmother says happened on Thursday, the bubbly six-year-old has little room to focus on school. After she got a call from a school resource officer saying Kaya was arrested. They say, what do you mean she was arrested? Say there was an incident and she kicked somebody and she's being charged and she's on her way. Marilyn Kirkland says her granddaughter's journey to the juvenile detention center by Orlando police officers began at Lucius and Emma Dixon Academy Charter School. She's arrested and she has a charge She's charged with battery. The disorienting chaos, too much for Kirkland to process. She has a medical condition that we're working on getting resolved. So he says, what medical condition? So I said, you know, she has a sleep disorder, sleep apnea. He says, well, I have sleep apnea and I don't behave like that. The first grader handcuffed and carted off, where the grandmother says she was fingerprinted and even had a mugshot taken. No six-year-old child should be able to tell somebody that they had handcuffs on them and they were riding in the back of a police car and taken to a juvenile detention centre to be fingerprinted, mugshot, Kaya equally as upset. Oh, or- I'm, I'm good. But happy to be home. I felt sad that my grandma said I really missed her.
1: Let that one sink in, y'all. She's six years old. Arrested at school for a temper tantrum that that's insane. She's taken downtown mugshot, fingerprinted in the back of a squad car a six year old criminalizing a six year old and with these type of suspensions and explosions that were occurring eighties, nineties, early 2000s and even up to um in some places today, of course, the reason why people were being suspended was things like I'm um, using the zero tolerance policy making their fingers into a gun right or chewing a pop tart into a gun shape that's a conversation some people are even being suspended because of their hair african americans being suspended because of dreadlocks or braids right just happened a few months ago where a young man was told that you know he's going to have on campus suspension and he wasn't going to be able to walk at his graduation because of his dreadlocks so this is what's happening, right? Um, and they're also being suspended for being disrespectful, supposedly talking back, you know, skipping class, or just being disruptive. And I remember when I first became a teacher, I had a um, someone who was teaching with me that I knew that came to me and said, "You know, this student is disrespectful. Um, you're going to have a tough with them," and, and and tried to make me change my outlook on the student. And they were perfect with me. Built a great relationship, and. This person was older than me, different complexion than me, she was white, and the level of respect that I believe she, she desired was out of reach, unrealistic. Um, it's a different generation in terms of, of looking at being disrespectful because you don't hear them say, yes, ma'am, or their pants aren't pulled all the way up. Um, we have to get past some of those things uh, to teach these kids and build these relationships because if you have a relationship with them, you would never have to worry about them being disrespectful. Um, so, yeah. So with that being said, these schools are adopting or were adopting still have um, still using the broken window theory of policing. This theory comes from policing back in the day and NYPD used it very heavily in the nineties when they were racially profiling people. Um, and this is the idea where that, Even small things like graffiti or broken windows that you press the issue on that to the nth degree. We're talking about the police department Um, because you, you, you think if you can stop small crimes from happening, crack down on minor things, that will prevent larger offenses. And that's the same idea that was happening in schools. So the talking back, right? The getting up, going to the restroom without maybe asking, things of that nature. If I crack down, suspend them or on campus suspension for a few days, whatever it is, crack down on that, they're going to learn their lesson. They're not going to do anything worse, which we found out not not true, right? So kids who are kicked out, though, um, what I I found out, these kids um, are three times likely, kicked out of school, they are three times likely to end up in juvie, right? The detention center, Right within a year, okay? And these same kids, by the age of 25, 67% of them normally find themselves in jail before the age of 25, okay? Um, and what happens is because we have these SROs that on campus, it escalates these things, right? Um, and on top of that, it makes some of these things into crimes right into a bigger deal just like what happened to me and there's a crazy excerpt i have to play real quick and this is our last excerpt for the episode but listen to this one real quick
0: to the violent incident at a louisiana middle school first one officer then two appearing to body slam a 14 year old those two officers are now off the force they've been indicted and abc's victor Kenda with the images tonight This disturbing video showing a student body slammed from inside the main office of a Louisiana middle school has two officers facing serious charges. Moments earlier, the 14-year-old student behind the counter, the officer a few feet away. He is manhandled, grabbed around the neck and slammed to the ground. This was just the beginning, the two grappling on the floor. At one point, the officer appears to make a punching motion at the student. His holstered gun, picked up here by a school employee after coming loose, she moves it to a desk out of reach. Officer Anthony Dupree then picks the teen up in an apparent headlock and pounds him to the ground again before jumping on him. Watch as that employee again moves the gun out of the way. Another officer, Dan Cipriano, walks in. They handcuff the teen, stand him up straight, and then slam him face first on the counter before escorting him out. Tonight, the officers indicted on battery and malfeasance charges from the October incident. Both have resigned from the department. There are reports the officers claim that student posed a threat.
1: David? Wow. And FYI, I was accosted at the age of, I want to say, 15 by two police officers at a high school football game myself. So trust me, these things happen. Um, I remember seeing in middle school, Officer Decker at Mountain View Middle School tackle kids. Um, I remember once he was running the taco kid, he tripped and fell and everybody was just happy to see that sad, but true. We were happy because he constantly harassed black boys. Right. And in this case, this is a 14 year old black boy at a public middle school. And I- I'll put the video in a link, um, in the show notes where you see they manhandle this boy, pick him up by his neck over their shoulder and slam him into the floor. Then once he's once he's handcuffed, slam him into the, the uh the table, the desk. And the crazy thing is the officer's doing all this, and he's supposed to keep safety as you know the forefront of his mind, his gun falls out off out of his holster. How safe is that? Um, and what happens is normally what we see in the news today, a lot of times when the police are involved. Um, Like the Lawrence Bender that we talked about in an episode prior, they normally come out, as we'll say, on hundreds, right? They're literally um, escalating the situation um, more than it should. So understand, because of these interactions in 2011, 2012, in the United States alone, 92,000 kids were arrested, students, I'm sorry, students were arrested from schools, right? It has dropped since then, thanks to California and things that California has done, but it's still still over 50,000, right? Um, Kids being arrested from school. So you're criminalizing students in the classroom, right? And what happens is these students are being pushed out and pushed into the criminal justice system for school fights, ditching or arguing with their teacher, And what happens? What we see is schools with SROs, forty-seven percent of the time, will turn over a fight or disciplinary actions like that to the police, right, to the officer there, compared to a school that doesn't have an SRO, it's only nineteen percent of the time. And for threats, threats that are without weapons, like I'm going to beat you up or whatever it may be, you know, not saying it's good or it's okay, but I think it could be handled from the school. Um, These threats. Like that is normally handled, handed over to SROs if you have an SRO on your campus, 38% of the time. No SRO, 15% of the time, which means you, if you hand it over to the police, it becomes a criminal matter, right? And that's a scary thing. So something to think about what's happening. So the next question is, how are we fixing these things? What are we doing? What are we changing? Because the prison, the pipeline, zero tolerance is not working, right? These kids are are uh, missing school. They're not learning. They're dropping out, and it's not changing their behavior. Because at the end of the day, suspensions is part of the toolbox of administrators, right? Dude, you, you know you you pull it out to try to change behavior. That's the goal, but obviously it's not working. And doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a new outcome, is insanity. So, with that being said, um back in two thousand five a school district did something amazing um Oakland school district unified school District decided to start working on and using restorative justice uh model okay and ten years later around two thousand and fifteen they decided to make this a district um held adoption right so they were one of the first in um really the United States to do so um and we'll talk about the restorative justice model in a second but Federally, what we saw happen in 2011, Obama administration, President Obama, we miss you, man. We miss you. Um, What we see what we see happen is this. Um, Their administration starts to look at the school and prison pipeline and becomes a real thing on the federal level. And they realize that something has to change. So what was adopted was the Supportive School Discipline Initiative um, in 2011, and it's aim was to help schools find alternative measures um, outside of suspension for discipline. Right. Um, And also what it came along with was giving the DOJ the power to investigate any school district that has any schools within their district accused of discrimination. So suspension started to equate to a civil rights issue for the um, Obama administration, saying that looking at all these black and brown kids being suspended, um, and Native American kids, because Native American kids are being suspended at very high rates as well, and they make up a very low percent of the population. Um, they started seeing this was a an issue, right, a civil rights issue, and they will be, when I say they, the district could be um, investigated by the DOJ if that's the case and could lose funding. So that's what was happening. Um, but 2016, we had a new president come in by uh, the name of President Donald J. Trump, And what happens is his administration um, decides after the Parkland shooting to rescind that initiative and go closer and closer to the zero tolerance policy again, right? Um, But what we see in in LA Unified in 2013, they banned willful defiance suspensions. That's, That's the bulk of a lot of suspensions and willful defiance is like not listening to the teacher, disrespect, whatever it may be. And that was the bulk of a lot of suspensions in um, LA Unified and in California in general. So at first it was K through third, then they moved it up to K through eighth, and by last year, Governor Newsom decided to sign into law a bill that did the same thing, but for all of California, right? Banning willful suspension that uh, defiance and that dropped suspensions quite a bit in California, um, and started to push towards. Looking at the restorative justice model, right, and moving forward to that, and moving away from retribution, right, paying them back, and and I believe uh, restorative justice are steps towards peace and understanding. So what we see is less less about punishment and more about understanding, um, righting wrongs, and building healthy relationships within the school, right. And this community building was important because it's it's the cornerstone of this, and and they would have. When I say they, school districts who who use RS or restorative um, justice, I'm sorry, um, RJ, um, what happens is they have these circles and they'll bring students in and allow them to talk about difficult things in their lives and help them through, peers will help them through with how to respond in a healthy way, right? And if there was an issue, they'll have a restorative circle and discuss the problem. Why, were there, why was there an argument? Why was there an issue? And try to come together and fix it, right? Because um, what happens is if you, if you do that, instead of just suspending a kid or putting them into detention, if you never talk to them and allow them to hold some accountability and maybe see where, where they are coming from, you can't learn from the situation. They can't learn from the situation to become a better student and a better person, a, a better person with better character as well. Um, and And what happens is um with this being said, um r j restorative justice allows students to take an active role right and be held accountable for their actions, but they also feel a part of a community. they feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves, but when they are suspended, it's the opposite. they feel disconnected, they don't feel like they're with a community, so therefore they don't have um in their mind a reason to keep pushing forward a reason to go to school because no one there cares about them. Right. Um, and under this umbrella, you have SEL learning what we call, but I'll just tell you what it is. Social emotional learning, uh, positive behavior intervention and supports that's PBIS, uh, multi-tier systems and support MTSS. And they all stress at the end of the day relationship building. And that's key in teaching you have to have and in schools, you got to build a community, build relationships, because so when kids have when you have a relationship with those students, A, they want to learn. It's more fun. And and they're going to trust you. They're going to be respectful. And and, and you're going to know if, if something is does happen if somebody does cross the line. It's just simply a conversation and figuring out what's going on. Right. Um, And figure out what the motivation, because behavior doesn't come out of nowhere. It happens for a reason. Right. Um, so with that being said, it, it's all about all these things, though, take time, support, good training on the district level for students, but also takes money. Right. So we see Oakland Unified budget two point five million dollars in 2017, 2018 for restorative justice, hired 35 facilitators and a district wide coordinator. And, and I know with my school district, we have a district wide coordinator and spending that money for that. But that's important. Right. LA Unified, $10 million, right? Santa Ana uh, USD received $3 million, right, to implement this. And this is not like new work. This work is being built upon old ideas from like the 90s, the conflict mediation strategies. And I remember that because I was a conflict uh, mediator in like seventh grade. We used to wear like these um, l- little netted jersey things that was like highlighted yellow. And you wear like you have your day where you wear it during... Um, lunch, right? And if there was an issue, uh, the two students would come to you, and you'll have to try to like work it out. And if it was above you, you take it to the next level to the counselors, what have you. But you'll try to work things out. And I was able to do that. I forgot all about that and me doing that until you know researching this. Um, and this is important to realize that this stuff isn't new. It just it, it was literally um abandoned. So we got to get back to this relationship building. Welcome to another Be Inspired moment. And I want to use a quote, um, actually for me, my 17-year-old self. This quote is from the yearbook of my graduating um, year. And I was was feeling nostalgic. And the quote is simple. And I remember saying this and writing this down. You didn't make me, so you can't break me. And as a student, I was thinking... In terms of, I mean, it didn't matter what people thought about me. It didn't matter what they felt. It didn't matter what they said. That those words couldn't break me. That my creator created me. Not them. And in today's light, it's the same idea for me. That I can't be concerned and you can't be concerned about what people feel about you. What they say. You have to worry and concern yourself about the things that you can control. You can control your attitude, you can control your mindset, you can control the work you put in, right? You have to have the idea in your mind that nothing's going to stop me, that all that I'm going through and all that what people are saying can't break me. They didn't make me, so how could they break me? And don't allow yourself to be made based off of people's opinions or what's happening currently because tough times don't last. Tough people do. I want to bring to you, for my final thought, Martin Luther King, 18 years old at Morehouse, writing a paper about education. And he says this, we must remember that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education. What are we teaching our students of color, black and brown? Are we telling them that they are really criminals and that's their character and that all they deserve is prison? Or are we teaching them that they are worth more than their weight in gold? Martin Luther King also says, Dr. King says this also. But education, which stops with efficiency, may prove the greatest menace to society. Suspending kids, expelling them, is not efficient. It's not working. Do we continue on this path? continue to create this school-to-prison pipeline and be a part of the systemic racism that these students face? Or do we change everything and embrace these students and truly give them the opportunity to succeed? It's really up to us right now. Are we creating a minister society? Are we creating success in society? God bless. Enjoy your week. I can do all things, yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the songs say. And
0: I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things, yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid of the moment. I'm not afraid of.